You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is Rachel, and I am one half of the Hashtag History podcast, where we talk all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. But that's not why I'm here today. I am here to introduce you to Queen's podcast, where Katie and Nathan cover female rulers throughout history, all while enjoying a cocktail. If this sounds like your kind of podcast, they did ask me to give a little disclaimer because their show does contain strong language. So if you don't mind hearing things like or or this just might be the show for you. So sit back, sip on that cocktail and enjoy as Katie and Nathan tell you all the about some badass women in history. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. I don't think you're ready for this jelly. I don't think you're ready for the jelly. I don't think you're ready for the jelly. Hi. Hi. I don't think I'm ready for Maggie of Austria. Part duh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you didn't listen to part one, you should go check it out. But we've got so much to cover in the second part of her life. Let's just get into it. Margaret of Austria. Nathan, where did we leave her? Yeah, so to recap, Margaret of Austria was born to a wealthy and powerful family. Her dad is the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. Uh, you know, a little bit inbred there, starting <laughs> with this family. Uh, when she was three, she was sent to marry the next king of France. But he spurns her whenever she's 13 and sends her packing. So she then sent to Spain to marry the heir to the Spanish throne. And their marriage is actually pretty happy. But poor Margaret enters her emo phase because she is widowed by the age of 17. And now she's back on a boat, back home for another strategic marriage alliance. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Margaret is back in her mother's lands, which are known as the Low Countries, which is like Belgium and the Netherlands. And her family does make a big to do of her coming home. There's like parties and feasts and like shopping sprees. That and even though, what'd you say? That sounds fun. It does sound fun. (laughs) (laughs) And even though she's had time to grieve the loss of her husband and her baby that was stillborn, she's just not, her heart's just not in a party mode, you know? And she's still working through some shit. She's she's got some therapy to get into. Yeah, that poor little black heart of hers is just Mm. not doing too well. (laughs) No. That same year that she came home, her brother Philip and sister-in-law, Juana of Castile, have a baby boy named Charles. So, baby Charles is a big fucking deal, historically speaking. Yeah, it's like, one day, he's going to have his mom's inheritance, which is the United Countries of Castile and Aragon, um, a.k.a. Spain, Spain. And he's potentially going to be the Holy Roman Emperor one day if, you know, that state of mind still exists at that point. If that even is a real thing. Uh, (laughs) State of mind. Anyway, Philip and Juana are like, wow, Maggie is depressed as fuck. She needs a pick-me-up. She needs, like, a passion in her life. She needs a purpose. Let's make her godmother to our little baby Charles. And Maggie, like, for the first time since coming home, actually shows 
some interest in something. She's like, yeah, because she's had so much tragedy in her life. Like this is something that she can throw her heart and soul into. Yes. Like she can be a godmother for this baby boy. So she is in love with her nephew, literally from the moment she meets him. So it had to have been this little bittersweet moment for her. Right. Mm, yeah. Because it hadn't been that long since she had lost her own child, a child who, if she had lived, would have actually been in line for some of the same exact titles that her new godson is not going to inherit. So it's yeah. kind of weird. Right. She's like, oh, you know, because she did give birth to a daughter that just didn't make it. And so, yeah, now it's like, oh, this kid is going to inherit what should have been my child. My kids. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, if, if she had, like, any resentment towards Charles there, she definitely – I don't think she did. I, but it's still – was probably tough. But her dad is like, look, I'm happy that you've, I'm happy that you love being a godmother. I'm happy that you found a purpose, but you are single and you are still like within marriaging age. She was only 20. Um, you are too young to remain unmarried. So dad and her brother, Philip, basically start making a list of eligible bachelors and presenting them to her. And some names were floated around, like Arthur Tudor, Prince of Wales, maybe you've heard of him. Yes. Uh, uh, the King of Scotland, uh, the King of Hungary, the Duke of Milan. So these are Real some- quick, I'm so happy that she didn't get married to Arthur Tudor and have, like, another, another uh, husband that was going to die tragically young right oh my gosh yeah i didn't think about that that would have been horrible she would have been she might have (laughs) been worse than Catherine of aragon in terms of being like putting her foot down (laughs) 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 finally they landed on this guy named philbert duke of savoy philbert's not a name we've heard before right philbert (laughs) philbert (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like some backwoods, like where we're from. Like <laughs> my, my cousin Philbert, <laughs> me and Philbert, my husband cousin, <laughs> my husband cousin Philbert, Duke of Savoy. Uh, <laughs> he was from a powerful family, and they had ties to the French royal family. Uh, that's an alliance that Philip really needed. So plus. If you remember from part one, he had a sister named Louise that was Maggie's BFF back in elementary school. Right. Um, Which I love. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we'll put a pin in that and discuss her later. Mm. Mm. So we're not really sure if if Philbert and the Family Jam Band was her first uh, her first choice. But like, we don't even know if she wanted to get remarried. I'm thinking all signs are pointing to that she probably didn't want to get remarried, but she she doesn't have agency. She's 20. Her dad is a powerful dude. Her brother's a powerful dude. If they tell her to do something, she's going to have to do it, you know? And so, and you know what? On paper, it wasn't a bad match. So the contract was signed and yeah, husband number two and a half. Is it, do we count, <laughs> do we count the King of France? Do we count him or do we not? I don't, I don't. I don't. I think she did, though. Yeah, she did. So maybe we should. Two and a half. Let's just. (laughs) Let's put the number two and a half. But let's meet. Let's meet this new two and a half uh, guy. (laughs) Uh, The the new husband. Uh, He's Philbert of Savoy. Is he's the same age as Maggie? So you know, refreshing. Also been married before. So nice. Probably understands. You know, losing a spouse. Um, Phil has been the Duke of Savoy for three years since he was 17. Uh, so maybe he's got a little experience. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but he doesn't really have any interest in like running shit. Um, and mainly leaves everything in the hands of his family. So he's not really doing anything. Yeah. It just dawned on me though. It looked like. All the dudes, because we read so much about these princesses that get married off to, like, super older dudes. You know, the names that they floated for her husbands, well, her her first and a half husband, one of Castile, was her age. He was only, like, two years older. Arthur Tudor, who they floated for her, was her age. 
maybe actually like one or two years younger. Um, I think the King of Scotland was a pretty young guy. I I kind of, it looks like Maximilian, her dad, isn't trying to force her into like a super unbalanced age marriage, which... Yeah, I wonder if that's partially because he wants his daughter to still have some power over her husband, in, in my oh. opinion. Because, like, when you, whenever there's a much younger daughter, yeah. obviously the husband is able to manipulate, you know, how the children are raised and what they believe and all that. Whereas if you have a more of a similar same age, age gap, then they can kind of battle it out. And, you know, there's not as much grooming going yeah. on. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like you said, Philbert wasn't particularly interested in running Savoy. Um, he was, he left it in the hands of his family. Mr. Phil here was a party boy, which doesn't on paper does not seem like a good match for Maggie. But one thing that I don't think she was mad about is he had a reputation of being super fucking hot. Tall, <laughs> six foot fine. He was athletic. Yes. He loved to like party and dance and joust. So kind of like a frat boy vibe. Frat boy vibe. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm I mean, getting. yeah. If you have to leave your home to marry a stranger again, Again. uh, (laughs) you may as well get a hottie, right? So in 1501, she's back on a boat heading to France. And upon arrival, she had a proxy marriage. Again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) We actually have some really interesting details about this proxy wedding, because I feel like we don't usually get a lot of details about them. So Philbert had this really illegitimate half-brother who was really... <laughs> he, had a re- he had this really illegitimate half-brother. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I love that. Let note. me rephrase. He was real <laughs> illegitimate. Really illegitimate, like, no. <laughs> not, not just illegitimate, real illegitimate. Let me, re- let me start that over. <laughs> no, leave it. <laughs> Really illegitimate. No. (laughs) Philbert had this really powerful illegitimate half-brother. So he was illegitimate, so couldn't be Duke of Savoy himself. But he was really Mm. smart. And so Philbert was fine to let Renee kind of run everything, including standing proxy, standing in his place in this proxy marriage. So illegitimate, really illegitimate brother, Renee stood in for Philbert in the proxy wedding. So after the ceremony, really illegitimate Renee and Margaret (laughs) were put in a bed together, but they were both fully clothed. (laughs) This is so So weird. weird. (laughs) So Maggie hikes up her dress to expose her calf. (laughs) That's bare. Yes. And then, (laughs) then Renee touches her leg and then this somehow symbolizes that the marriage has been consummated. What? <laughs> Dude. It's like, oop, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Just when you thought weddings, marriages by proxy couldn't get any weirder, this shit happens. <laughs> Actually, remember how in the last episode we were like, can't fuck by proxy? I guess this is what fucking by proxy looks like. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, it is. And then my illegitimate brother touched her leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they like they made a rule this rule because of what happened previously. What do you mean? Like because that like they, they like were like oh the wedding wasn't consummated so oh yeah so, it wasn't a wedding yeah and so this time they're like this time they're like no 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 if you touch her leg it's consummated if you touch <laughs> her leg <laughs> once you get some hand action <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so a couple of days later, after this really sexy scene with the leg touching, uh, she meets her new hubby, and they have their actual wedding ceremony in Savoy. And it's, it's actually possible that they met as children. Oh. His sister and Margaret were raised together at the court in Paris, so they may have met as children. We don't know. We don't know, but it's just it's just kind of like a, maybe. Um, but as always, their wedding was followed by weeks of celebration and feasting and partying and drinking. But we do have to assume that their marriage was 
actually consummated on their wedding night. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so we got some bone into it. Got and some. It was done. They went to the bone zone. Absolutely. <laughs> so soon after the wedding, Margaret was like, so tell me about Savoy. Tell me about the people, you know, your plans for running this whole country and everything. And Phil is like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I don't, care. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't care about any of that shit. And Maggie's like, uh, oh, okay. okay then <laughs> what, what, what do you like to do? Do you like to do anything? <laughs> and he's like, I like going hunting. And so Maggie's like, okay, I like hunting. Let's go hunting together every day. Like, which I think is smart. It's like, they, she's like, I need to bond with this dude. And he likes hunting. I'm going to go hunting. Cool. What else do you like to do? He's like, I like dancing. Cut. He likes dancing. And then Maggie says, I am so good at dancing. You are not going to believe it. I know how to two-step. I know how to do jitterbug jerk. I know how to do the jitterbug, all of it. I know. Uh, let's Cupid show shuffle. our dance moves off together. Chuck the Cupid Shuffle, let's do them together. Let's go. Let's do the conga. Woo. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Which, again, I think is so smart. She's just throwing herself into what he likes to do. Basically being like, I'm going to make sure everything he likes doing he sees me doing, and before you know it, he's going to associate me with his passions in life. So she throws herself into his interests. She's super positive, happy, and before you know it, Filbert is head over heels in love with Maggie. And yes. what did we learn about Margaret of Austria in part one? Oh, gosh. She loves being in love. She loves being in love. So it appears she also falls equally in love with her new husband, which, yay, isn't that, I mean, isn't yeah, that... good for her. Yeah, we, we, you want people to be in love with their spouse, so thumbs up. And after some time, she's like, hey, babe, you know what I really want? I would love to be more hands-on with running Savoy. That, you know, it was so sweet that your family, you know, stepped in when you needed help, but... Now you have me, and we can run this on our own. Yeah. So very, very long story short that involves kicking out very illegitimate brother uh, Renee, <laughs> getting her dad involved. All this shit goes down, and it comes to a head when she basically kicks his family that was running stuff out of power very forcibly. And um, she's like, get the fuck out of here. Savoy has a new duchess in town, and I'm going to run shit. And now Margaret is like, finally, it's my turn. We're doing this shit. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I love this. I love this. I bet she's going to be so good at it, too, because, like, I mean, she was raised to be a ruler, you know? Like, she's never been raised to just be a lady at court. She's never been raised just to be, like, a lady of leisure. So she is ready to run shit. And that seems like a good place to take a quick break and bask in the glory of her victory. Yes, I'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties. Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is... Well, I mean, it's about everything. 
Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. And we are back, and Margaret is in her element. She is running this show in Savoy. I think the people of her new te- of her new home really appreciated uh, a duchess that did want to be involved because they just fell in love with her. It's a reoccurring theme in her life, isn't it? The it, like the people yeah. in Spain loved her. The people in the Low Countries love her. She's just likable yeah i think it's just it's great like to see that she wasn't like hated on like some of the other queens that we've covered that were kind of treated like shit she was really adored she was yeah and it's because you know she really wanted to be involved yeah she wanted to know the people she wanted to know what was important to them what they wanted to see out of the their duchess and she really listened so yeah people really liked her Mm mm-hmm she appointed bishops, she passed bills, she approved fundings to build new schools and churches, and she knew all of the movers and shakers in Europe. Mm-hmm. So she made alliances and wrote letters on issues that would you know, benefit and help Savoy. All the while, Phil is just kind of wandering around, hunting and partying and dancing. And this actually worked really well for them. Yeah. It was a good balance. Yeah. They were really happy for a time. Oh, no. Uh, Not another heartache for Maggie. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Uh, about three years into their marriage, Philbert got sick. Uh, there were a couple of theories as to what happened, though. He either was overexhausting himself mm. on a hunting trip. Uh, maybe he ruptured his appendix. Maybe his lung was infected with pleurisy, but we really don't know because they did cocaine about things back then when they were sick. So it was like the doctors didn't know shit. Doctors didn't know shit. They were just like, well, let's pray about it. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, it seems like his passing was pretty drawn out, too, which is a bummer. Oh, hate that for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. On September 10th, 1504, Philbert of Savoy, Margaret's second and a half husband, passed away. And so Margaret, completely overcome with grief, threw herself out a window. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She very, (laughs) she very likely attempted suicide. The records are... Not clear. Because also remember back then there was such a stigma. I mean, I guess there still is a stigma. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, it's a, it's a mortal sin to yeah. do that. Yeah. So they would, that was, that's a huge deal. So I'm not surprised. Like everything I read, and I'll link all my sources in the show notes, but every single one of them said the same thing. Just like she attempted to throw herself out a window, but was saved. And it's like, what is that? Does that mean she did throw herself out the window, but like somebody broke her fall? Does that mean somebody, like, stopped her from jumping out the window? Does that mean, what does that mean? Like, I it, I feel like it was, it's left very ambiguous on um, purpose. But my theory, and we'll get to it a little bit later, is that um, I think she did jump out the window and succeed, but, like, wasn't mortally wounded but did fuck up her leg because later in life she suffers from some really bad like mobility issues and so with a really with a injured leg so i think yeah we'll get to it anyway anyway drama zero chill devastated uh just she was maggie was having a bad time i mean i I I can understand her devastation, right? She's had so many bad things happen to her, like, over and over and over. So she's absolutely crushed. I wonder if she's, She's, I wonder if she's starting to, because they were so superstitious back then. I wonder if she's starting to think, like, am I cursed? 
Yeah, oh, I, I guarantee you that's probably what it is. Is she's like, I need to kill myself because any other guy that's with me is gonna die. Yeah, like you know, I'm cursed, and uh-huh. so any guy, any guy that my dad sets me up with is gonna die because I mean, she's a widow for the second time by 23 years yeah. old. <laughs> we're projecting there. How- we didn't read anything that said that she thought that she was cursed or anything, but we're just yes, uh, no, no, we're projecting. total projection. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but how many times can a girl like that be heartbroken, you know? know. and she just loved, she just wanted to be in love and be a cherished wife and be a good wife, and, oh, I hate it. They keep dying on her. They keep dying <laughs> on her, really young. She makes them fall in love with her, and then they die. Like, ugh. <laughs> in his memory, Margaret commissioned this beautiful monastery to, like, start being built, where he would eventually... There would eventually be a tomb for Filbert in it and a space for her. And this took a couple decades to build. Um, But once it was completed, Phil and Maggie were both laid to rest here, which is very sweet. And Margaret also had his heart embalmed and kept it with her for the rest of her life. Um, Kind of weird. Um, she, She vowed never to marry again, so... Interesting. That's, that's just that's a special little story, isn't it? I think that was actually pretty common back then. So it's not like she was being like overly morbid or whatever. You know, I think that was because uh, I think I remember reading that him, uh, Arthur Tudor, they like cut out his heart and had it embalmed as well. So these medieval people and their weird ass shit. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, all right, let's switch gears. Real quick. So let's hop across the pond to England real, real quick. Uh, The king of England is this dude named Henry VII, and he is recently widowed. And after his wife died, home dude became very into counting his pennies. Let's be blunt. Let's not play around. Henry VII, uh, towards the end of his life, was a very cheap motherfucker. Yeah. And Margaret of Austria, the Dowager Princess of Spain, the Dowager Duchess of Savoy, the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. She is fucking loaded. And Henry VII, King of England, is seriously trying to make Margaret and her money um, (laughs) the next Queen of England. Yeah, let's don't like, let's not act like there's any kind of like romance or anything here. It was, he was very much in love with her money, not her. Um, there's a lot of po- a politics going on that we just don't have time to, don't really even want to go into. Uh, but her brother, Philip, thought that an alliance with England, with um, Henry VII, Mary, and Margaret, would just really solve some problems for them. So Philip, without even asking Margaret, because they are so used to Margaret doing whatever Philip or Maximilian say, he's just like, yeah. 100%. My sister would love to be your queen. My sister is absolutely going to marry you. But Maggie has agency now. She has run shit. She's got some stuff on her resume. She has spent the last three years answering basically to no one. So, yeah. What do you, how do you think she took it when she got the the notice that your brother has agreed and a new marriage for you? Oh, gosh. She's probably like, I'm going to kill this fucker, too. <laughs> Oh, God. Somebody throw him out a window. (laughs) So when it got back to her that her brother told old ass Henry VII of England that she'd marry him, you know, I imagine she's laughing out loud at this point. Like, he's old as fuck. He's 50 years older than her. Ew. Five zero. Ew. Ew. Yeah. Uh, And, like, and his reputation at this point is really gone downhill. It's at the end of his reign. We kind of talked briefly about Henry VII and his dumpster fire antics before. Uh, He was all right at the beginning of his reign, but at the end, everything went to shit. Yeah. Uh, So this is not exactly a super enticing match for Margaret. Plus, she hadn't told her family yet, but that she had not. Plus, she hadn't told her family yet, but she had vowed to never marry again. So this was simply for Margaret, like a no-go, non-starter. Absolutely not going to happen, my man. Something I just thought of as well. So you remember how after Arthur Tudor died, um, Catherine of Aragon was just kind of the royal couch surfer, like, and Henry VII wasn't taking care of her in England? Yeah. So Margaret and Catherine of Aragon are sister-in-laws. 
So she's probably also looking at Henry VII and being like, you're treating my sister like shit. Why would I want to come marry you? You know? Yeah. Like, why would you want to yeah. deal with somebody that's, yeah, yeah does not make sense. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. This made her brother so pissed off at her. But like we, I, I kind of love this coming of age story for Maggie. How she's just, she's just sort of like non-bothered. She was like, this sounds like a you problem. You needed an alliance with Henry VII. I don't need an alliance with Henry VII. So sorry about it. Her dad, I think this is really funny. So Maximilian is trying to play like peacekeeper between his children. And so he writes to Henry VII and is like, look, I'm going to talk to my daughter. I'm going to send a royal envoy to her to convince her, persuade her to marry you. But... (laughs) There are no, like, there is no documentation that he actually ever sent anybody to Maggie to make these persuasions. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I think that he was just trying to play peacekeeper, but also he was like, I'm not trying to force my daughter to marry someone older than me. Like, her, like, he's like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) So I kind of love that. I kind of love that move by Maximilian. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to our conjecture that we made earlier about how he didn't want her to marry an older man yeah. because that that older man probably could power control balance. her and manipulate her power balance and yeah. all of that. And also at this point, really he's already move. forced her into other marriages. I think he's kind of like, how many how many marriages can I force her into if she doesn't want to marry? <laughs> <laughs> so the next year, everything in Margaret's life changed. And her brother, Philip, the asshole, I mean, um, the (laughs) handsome, who really wasn't all that handsome, uh, died very suddenly. And this ended up setting up a whole chain of events that we went in so much depth on in our Juana of Castile Right, right. But what does that mean for Margaret? It means now that her six-year-old nephew-slash-godson, Charles is now Duke of Burgundy and the Lord of the Netherlands and just like the ruler of all of her mother's lands. Um, so like the ruler of the low country. He, he's a six-year-old with a shitload of responsibilities now. Yeah, so Maximilian calls up Maggie and says, hey, uh, this might be a little bit too much for a, you know, six-year-old to be running. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, he's six. And any land is beyond the sandbox that he plays in is a little bit too much land for him. too (laughs) much. And that's also a lot of money to be in charge of as a six-year-old. You know, you can't count. Yes. Um, Yeah, like... So that might be an issue. Yeah. Uh, So Maximilian tells her, hey, I don't have... So Maximilian tells her, hey, I don't have the time. I don't have the manpower to run it. I'm done. I can't do it. And he's like, Maggie, I need you to go to Belgium. And I need you to raise your godson. He also sent over Juana and Philip's daughters. So like, I need you to raise your godson. I need you to raise raise your nieces. This baby has a job. This baby cannot fulfill this job. I'm gonna need you to be his regent. He's probably gonna be Holy Roman Emperor one day. He's gonna be King of Spain one day. He's already becoming Duke of Burgundy right now. I need you to raise this boy to be a capable leader. Are you up to the challenge? And Margaret of Austria said, fuck yeah, and headed on home. And in 1507, at age 27, Margaret is officially recognized as the general of the lowlands Mm. and guardian of the duke, which basically meant that, you know, hey, here's the keys to the country. You're the captain now. Look at me, look (laughs) at me. You're the captain now. (laughs) So she runs home as fast as her legs can take her. And she posts up in her new palace. So you remember in the last episode, we talked about her step-grandmother, Margaret of York? Mm -hmm. Well, she has now passed. And she left pretty much everything to Maggie. So her palace, her jewels, her art collection, her library. Grandma Margaret had a really impressive library that was already well known throughout Europe. And so Maggie looks around and she's like, let's keep this going. And she, 
yeah, it just builds everything up. And over the years, Margaret's art collection and library grew and it became so famous that diplomats from all over the world would swing by to check out her collection. I love that. It's like, hey, can I just swing on by to look at your art collection yes. in the library? Yes. Yeah, so much that her court in Belgium grew to be the cultural center of Europe for a while. So yeah. like, if you're considered yourself an intellect or an art collector, you went and spent time at the court of Margaret of Austria. Everyone who was anyone was looking at her for what was popular, you know, what was what was the it thing and books and art and fashion and all run by a woman. Mm. Go figure. Hey Nathan. Yeah. Who run the world? Girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love that for her. Like, we already knew that she was capable and smart, and now we know she has really good taste as well. She's a tastemaker. Mm, love it. Uh, but really, Maggie considered one job out of all of these responsibilities and all this reputation. She had one main goal. My little nephew is going to grow up to be such a powerful man. I need to make sure that he is ready. Which really, like, let's look at it. Let's look at what all this little boy is set to inherit. So he's already the Belgium, like all the low countries. So like Belgium, the Netherlands, a big chunk of Europe already at six. When his, like through his mother, he's going to inherit both Castile and Aragon. So Spain. Yeah. And then through his grandfather, he's also going to get like modern day Germany. So that is a lot. Don't, don't you, isn't that a lot of land? Yeah, that's a lot of land. He's... <laughs> Basically owning a big portion of Europe. Yeah. (laughs) And so she took this job of making sure that he was educated and knew what he was doing when the time came very seriously. She hires the best tutors. Make sure he knows who all the movers and shakers in Europe are. She's like, this boy is going to be smart. This boy is going to be respected. People are going to know his name. They're going to put respect on his name. And they're going to put respect on my name while I'm in control of him. And so as a result, Maggie's court just also became this place of education that people from all over Europe would like fight over spots for their children to go to Belgium to get their education at Maggie's court. And hey, Nathan, who who do we love that got uh, spent some time at Maggie's court. Oh, just a lovely little lady named Anne Boleyn. Um, she was there for like a year. Yeah. Herself, so. Yeah. Oh, I love this. And Margaret ruled these rich lands and was the most powerful woman in Europe, if not the most powerful woman in the world, um, from 1506 to 1514. And during this time, there is a lot of war dick and war dick waving and... Yeah. We could just do a whole episode just on these years of all this dick waving and but I don't want crap, to. but we just we skim. don't wanna skim. skim skim over it. Yeah. So like two decades of the early sixteenth century is just a lot of really petty fighting too. A lot of it wasn't even shit that mattered, you know? I mean, it mattered to them, but like in the grand scheme of history, it's not like convictions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But what you do need to know, the major players in this infighting. So the major players and all these battles and everything are the Holy Roman Emperor and the King of Spain, So Maximilian, so her father and her father-in-law are in an alliance against France. And then England is also against France. So therefore, (laughs) for for every time in history up until World War I, England is against France. Yes. And so that means England comes into an alliance with Spain and the Holy Roman Empire because, you know, like the enemy of my enemy is my friend or whatever. And then also, you know, Henry VIII marries Catherine of Aragon. And so now they're all family as, yeah, TLDR. It's the rest of Europe versus France. And that's European history, kids. Yep. And Margaret was essential in these series of scrimmages. Like, she's writing letters, getting troops, making introductions, appointing generals. She's even being a liaison with Ferdinand, her father-in-law to Henry, you know, her (laughs) brother-in-law. Because remember, she really fucking hates the French, (laughs) like a lot of people do at the time. Uh, After, you know, 
the king jilted her all those years ago. So she's got a personal vendetta against yeah. this guy. That guy's been uh, dead for a long time, by the way. Yeah, but she's got a she's still, vendetta against France. She's like, all y'all. All y'all can go suck it. Y'all, all y'all can kiss my croissant. <laughs> we know two things about Margaret of Austria. She loved being in love. Mm-hmm. And bitch could hold a grudge. She could hold a grudge and did hold a grudge for a lifetime. Everyone really, really respected her as a leader, as, you know, an advisor throughout the world. But when her godson Charles turned 15, he had a bit of like a teenage rebellion, which you can't really be mad at him about. Who didn't, who didn't hate their parents at 15? You know, like, so he writes, he writes to Maximilian and he's like, dude, I've been doing my homework. I haven't been skipping class. I've got, my GPA is on point. I'm ready for hands-on work. I want to take reins of my lands in earnest. And Maximilian was like, you're right. You have been really putting in the work. If you're ready, if you think you're ready to rule on your own, cool. And he told Maggie, like, hey, you need to, you need to stand down. Time to hand over the keys of the kingdom to Charles. And she was blindsided this. Yeah. Butthurt is an understatement. Yes. Um, she was <laughs> she was embarrassed. She was hurt. Yeah. Honestly, not sure how she didn't see this coming, though. This was kind of in the cards. Yeah. Uh, Charles had always been super smart and eager to start, you know, running things on his own. But he didn't even want her on his council. Yeah. So that was, I think, a little bit of a stab in the heart to her. Yeah. I think he maybe did give her some kind of role, but it was like such a, like she wouldn't even be invited to the meetings and stuff. And so she was just like, well, this is embarrassing. So fuck y'all. I'm fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. I'm out. But like I said earlier, it's, it's kind of teenage rebellion, you know, like, fuck you, mom. I'm going to do this on my own. But Either way, Maggie was really hurt. She was a really, really proud person. Uh, She did not take these kind of slights easily. Maggie laid low. And over, like, the next year or two, when she did make public appearances, she would, like, show up and just, like, not talk to anybody. And then, like, Irish goodbye really early in the evening. Like, she does not like being rejected. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, Charles spent the next two years realizing... Oh no. oh, no. This shit is hard, <laughs> y'all. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> so, dude had appointed some really shitty advisors that honestly didn't have his best interest at heart. And he's like, fuck. Oops. I think I, I think I might need to eat some crow right now. Right. <laughs> and he calls Maggie and he's like, Who's my favorite auntie? What are you doing? Um, about not wanting your help. <laughs> no. Can we just, can we put this whole thing behind us? <gasps> Super sorry about that. He may have sent her like an edible arrangement. <laughs> like some flowers. <laughs> A singing telegram being like, sorry that I kicked you out the council. Um <laughs> Can you please come back? I really, really need you. <laughs> that is a that is a bop. It's that a bop, is a bop yeah. right there. <laughs> but no, he was like, I really these dudes that I hired, they suck. And I need someone that knows what the fuck they're doing. Can you come back and be my financial advisor? Which of course she does. Yes. I'm just imagining her being like, oh hmm. Mm. Who? Mm. Uh little me? Mm. Yeah, that's what I fucking thought, kid. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, it's hard. Mm. But yes, I'll be right there packing my bags. Because she did she did love him like a son. You know, she yeah. loved him. Honestly, Charles is very lucky that she did decide to come back. Because the next few years, it was like one thing after another for him. Like, he is about to be tested in his uh, ability to be a ruler. Um, And he needed someone experienced by his side. And I love that he realized that and recognized that that person was. I love that he wasn't like, "Mm, a woman can't do it. He was like, she's the most capable person up here. Like, let's get her back. And Maggie's just like, we got this, baby. You and me, we got this. 
<laughs> so in 1516, Ferdinand dies, and Charles has to head on back to Spain. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't have Zoom, they didn't have the internet, so they Mm-mm. couldn't just like meet up and do a call real quick. Uh, he can't be in Spain and running the show in Netherlands at the yeah. same time. Right. So Maggie is left with the keys to the country. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and she is queen in everything but name in the low countries for the pretty much the rest of her life. Uh, she's running it on her own. Yeah. For the rest of her life, like you said, Maggie ran things so well that her reputation was beyond reproach. There, a chronicler wrote of her at the time, Madam Margaret had a man's talent for managing business, which I don't, don't love the sexism there, but I guess at least he's recognizing her. The fact that she was more capable than most men, for she added to her talents the fascination of her sex, brought up as she had been to hide her own feelings, conciliate her opponents, and persuade all parties that she was acting blindly in their interest. So yeah, don't love the sexist undertones, but I guess everybody was just generally surprised that a woman had a brain back then. So this guy is trying to give her a really amazing compliment, however backhanded it might seem to us, which just reflects how everybody thought of her. So side story that we just didn't know where else to put because we just have to have this. Margaret did have one romantic scandal in her life. Yeah. So Henry VIII had a BFF named Charles Brandon. So if you've watched the Tudors TV show, he's played by Henry Cavill. Yeah. Mm. Apparently, mm, mm, mm. yum, mm. yeah, yum. Um, apparently, sorry, ooh, my seat's moist. Um, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> One, it's just gross, and two, you said moist. <laughs> apparently, Maggie and Brandon had a pretty public flirtation, which raised a lot of eyebrows at the time. So the next day, Henry VIII was like, hey, Brandon is single, so if you know, you're ready to get married again. I'm sure he'd be into it. And Maggie was mortified. She was like, I was just, it was, I was just flirting. No, 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 no. Yeah. Cause in England, it was pretty common that once you were a, uh, like we talked about it and we talked about it lots of times. Once you were a widow, it was okay to marry below your station. And so Henry VIII is just sort of like, yeah, you want to marry my frat butt, my, you know, my frat boy over there? Yeah, sure. And she was just like, oh, good God, no, he's just a hottie that I was just playing, like, courtly love games with. She was so embarrassed, but he was supposed to be pretty hot, so have fun, girl. I hope, I hope maybe, I hope they actually hooked up, and then, I don't know. Yeah, this was just like. In the Showtime version of this story, they had, they definitely went to Bone Town. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward another two years and Maximilian, her dad, dies before securing all the votes needed to ensure that Charles would be his successor. Because I actually didn't know this. Because as we've established on this show, I do not understand what the Holy Roman Empire was. (laughs) In the Holy Roman Empire, you know, in other kingdoms, when the king dies, the king's son just automatically becomes yeah. king. In the Holy Roman Empire, like, usually it was the emperor's son or grandson in this case that would get it, but they did hold a vote. It was a all the rich dudes in, like, the lands of the Holy Roman Empire, not all of them, but, like, some chosen ones, did have to vote on it. And I didn't realize that. Um, but either way, uh, Maximilian hadn't gotten all the votes ready yet. So it's still, the succession kind of hung in the balance. And despite Maggie's grief at the loss of her father, she knew this was the time to make her move. Charles was in Spain. He couldn't campaign for himself to secure those votes. So as soon as her father was in the ground, Margaret literally starts campaigning in Germany. She's setting up meetings. She's charming people. She's telling people how amazing Charlie is. She's like, 
a politician yeah. on the campaign Kissing trail. babies, shaking hands, like, yeah, like, <laughs> handing out little, like, flyers and being like, vote for Charlie. I could not, I could not, I could not run for office because that would just be exhausting. I don't, yes. I don't want to kiss your baby. I could not run for office because I have this podcast where I make dick jokes a lot and I don't think <laughs> that would go over well with the older constituents. <laughs> yeah, my not. Uh, she's doing all of this like while still grieving her father who towards the end of her life she was actually really close with yeah she was because he wasn't i mean he was getting up there but he wasn't super super old i think he suffered a stroke or something so she did have a few years to realize that it was coming i think she published short book of poems for him after he died oh that's sweet yeah yeah but anyway her campaigning worked and in June 1519, Charles was elected to the state of mind of the Holy Roman Emperor. Yes. And as a thank you, Charles gave his Aunt Margaret a whole bunch of money. Okay, so what I read was 20,000 gold, no, 200,000 gold florins, which we don't really know how much that was in today's money. According to wikipedia.com, there's no direct conversion rate for like modern day money to gold florins, but they're estimated each gold florin could be anywhere between 40 and a thousand U.S. American dollars. So... But even at $40, that's still a lot. 200,000, yeah. So what we're getting at, she was already a very rich woman, and now she got got no money problems. She is good. She is set. (laughs) She's got 99 problems, but money ain't one. But money ain't one. (laughs) (laughs) So Margaret heads home, but seems that after this, Margaret's health ends up taking a hit. So she had been go, 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 go for the last 20 years. And it seems like as soon as she sits still, you know, after securing all those fucking lands for her godson, she actually realizes, oh my gosh, I'm tired. (laughs) And then, you know, naturally your body just starts to give out because you've just been doing so much these past few 20 years. 20 years. Also, like, not exactly the same thing. But like, if I'm cleaning my house, even if I get tired, I'm like, you cannot sit down until you're done. (laughs) Because once you sit down, you realize, oh, fuck, I don't want to get back up. I don't want to get back up there. I don't want to go rake the lawn. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to keep cleaning. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I believe there's a reason that a lot of leaders die young. That shit's stressful. And she hasn't sit still in years and that issue that we talked about earlier how whenever she jumped out of the window we thought that you know she may have injured her leg and that was causing her a lot of pain and it was so much pain that her doctors were you know hey here's some cocaine and bloodletting and leeches let's do that about it and it's like no that probably gave her more infections made things worse so i feel like Just from, and I'm obviously not a doctor, but just from things I've read here and there, leeches were probably, there probably were some things that maybe it helped with a little bit, but it probably didn't hurt anything. Like, even if it didn't help, it probably didn't hurt anything. But bloodletting, hey, it, it it's not, it doesn't do what you think it's doing. And now you've just got a big open wound on your leg that could get infected. Like, ugh. No. Yeah, TLDR, barf. (sighs) Towards the end of the 1520s, after 20 years in power, she's kind of starting to think about retirement. Like, you know, she's like, I'm not completely ready to step down, but maybe I can start delegating shit. But then it turns out she's got one more big task to do. And this this is a job that only she can do because... It has gone down in history as known as the ladies' peace. So, before we head into that story of Margaret's last hurrah, why don't we take a quick break and top off our drinks? That sounds perfect. We'll be right back. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. So, we are well into the 1520s and Charles and the King of France have just carried on this family tradition of still fighting off and on for fucking years. Uh, You know, it was always the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor versus the King of France. Mm-hmm. Well, now Charles is both the King of Spain and the Holy Roman Emperor. So he's like... He's got, like, this generational trauma going on that he feels Uh, like he has to, like, do for both sides of his family. Like, vendetta. Yes. Yes. So it's, uh, he big mad. He big (laughs) mad. War. (gasps) God, y'all. What is it good good for? for? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Because both countries are going broke. And everyone is sick of it. But these two no, kings... Nothing here is awesome. <laughs> we ain't got no money and we're super broke. <laughs> <laughs> but these two kings just love to hate each other. And yeah. they are fighting over who owns lands in modern day Italy. Uh, BTW, the king of France now, is a guy named Francis I. Uh, his mother was a woman named Louis of Savoy, a.k.a. Maggie's childhood friend and sister-in-law. These family trees, y'all. These family <laughs> trees are wreaths. Uh, she yeah. is literally related to everybody, either by blood or by marriage or both. And, like, the entire, all of the European noble households, basically. I swear to God. Yeah. A huge oversimplification is that these two kings have been fighting for a decade, and it comes to a head when Charles takes Francis hostage, as you would think that would. Taking a king hostage uh, might might be an issue. (laughs) (laughs) When Margaret hears this, she actually lights off fireworks at her home in Belgium because she just assumed, oh... This is the end of the fighting. They and we Charles won. captured Francis. We won. And they're going to negotiate, you know, Francis's ransom and there's going to be a peace treaty. It's over. It's all it's over. over. It is time to party. Narrator voice. It was not all over. It was not time to party. Charles was pissed at her celebrating and like sends her like this really condescending letter. And he's like the capture of an anointed king is nothing to celebrate. And she was just like, what the, what? You're the one that did it, bitch. Like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) mixed fucking signals, my man. And she's like, okay. She writes back. She's like, okay, then make peace and let him go. And he just leaves her on red. He just like is so pissed. He doesn't respond, which like, I'm sorry, like, talk about women. People are always like, oh, are you on your period being irrational? <laughs> and, like, look at, oh, my God, look, look at this. What the, oh, <laughs> the, the caption there is indistinct, indistinguishable noises in feminist rage. <laughs> <laughs> so he did 
spoiler alert, not let Francis go on ransom. And he demanded, and what he demanded was way too high. There was no way that these broke-ass countries were going to be able to raise that kind of money. Yeah. You know, Charles was being Petty McPederson and being so unreasonable. He was... Uh, 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 That was my feminist feminist rage. I'm not as good at it as you are, obviously. (laughs) Let's just call Charles Tom Petty here. Like, he is being just... Ugh. Yeah. Uh, So, Maggie... (laughs) Maggie writes to her friend, Louise of Savoy, who we're not going to have time to go into this episode much about her friend and sister-in-law, Louise. But hey, Nathan, where could they maybe learn more about her coming up soon? Patreon! Yeah, so her friend, Louise of Savoy, is acting as regent of France after her son was taken hostage. So we've got these two older women that are like the only voice of reason amongst all these petty dudes. And so she sends Luis a note being like, I think it's going to be up to us to end this shit. And Luis is like, yeah, come to Paris. Let's just sit down. We'll get a bottle of wine. We'll order a pizza. We'll come to a negotiation. It's time for the ladies' peace as this event has gone down, known as. We'll get shit done. Because you know, who gets shit done? Bitches get shit done. Right. <laughs> and that's what she did. She got shit done. Yeah. Uh, though her advisors told her not to travel, they were like, hey, girl, this is like a thousand percent a trap. Mm-hmm. And they are going to take you hostage, which... To be honest, not bad advice. (laughs) I can kind of see where they're coming from. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's what a lot of people thought. Margaret literally tells her dudes, like, if you're scared, stay home. Like, y'all don't have to come. She, she was like, she put so much faith that her friend, no, Louise wouldn't do that. I'm not scared. And so she heads to Paris, which like, remember, her leg is like, kind of literally killing her. I can't imagine that this was... I can't imagine she wanted to go, but she was just felt like she owed it to the lands that she loved so much to make peace and quit wasting their money and shit, you know? Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on all the politics that went into this agreement, because uh, there's so many different players. You've got Spain and Portugal and England and France. But all you really need to know is that Margaret and her old friend Luis negotiated peace in 1529. Finally. Finally. fireworks yeah yay and to be honest in the peace negotiations charles got a lot more than francis did so she got a little bit of a leg up there yes the only thing i don't love is that in the negotiations francis was to be set free but his two sons who were children would go be hostage in his place do you remember in the diane de poitier episode when we talk about Henri the second who was her she was his longtime mistress And, like, how he was held hostage and, like, treated badly and, like, idolized Diane de Poitiers while he was away. That was this negotiation that ended with these two princes living living in really shitty condition for, like, years. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Don't think about that. Don't think about that. There's peace. (laughs) So Margaret heads home for the last time. Yeah. It seems as if Margaret felt that like, hey, I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish. My nephew is set up for success. There is peace. I have secured a shitload of money for the low countries. My family's dynasty is set. I've done what I was put on this earth to do. And Margaret's leg was really starting to bother her. And the doctors decided they needed to cut it open and get the bad stuff out. That's not how, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. No, gosh. Oh, so her leg obviously gets really, really infected. And her doctors tell her that, oh, gosh, it needs to be amputated. Uh, not in, like I'm trying. I don't even want to think about yield amputation amputations in medieval times. No, thank Mm-mm. you. No, thanks. Margaret was like, "Okay, give me a few days because this is 1530. I don't know what the survival rate for amputations were at the time, 
but I'm thinking not great. And I think Margaret was thinking the same thing. And so she's like, I need a couple of days to like get my will in order, write uh, Charles a letter in case I don't survive and do a whole, like do my confessions, do a whole lot of praying. I need to get my shit in order. Yeah. And the day of the operation came and she was weak because she'd been sitting around for days, uh, three days with an infection in her leg. So it was probably depleting her energy. Um, So she was given uh, for the procedure, she was given opium to prepare for the surgery. And that was pretty much the end. Uh, Margaret of Austria died on December 1st, 1530 at age 50. And her body was laid to rest in Savoy next to Filbert in that gorgeous tomb that she had commissioned all those years ago. Today, Maggie is remembered as one of the most influential rulers of the 16th century. Not one of the most influential women, but rulers, Rulers. period. Yes, period. She was queen in all but name. And still to this day, there's a statue of her right outside the palace where she held the most respected court in Europe. So super duper. Yes. I love this statue. I'll definitely put a picture of it up on Instagram. There is so much shit about this woman, like about the different political ties she had, the different plots in in history that she is part of that we just didn't have time to go into. When we first started researching her, I told Nathan... She's like the Forrest Gump of the Renaissance time in Europe because she kind of just shows up in everybody's story. So, yeah, definitely, if y'all want to do some more reading on her, this website called, what's it called? TudorTimes.co.uk has a really, really in-depth, like, 10-page essay on her. It's in the show notes. Check it out. But what a fascinating woman, Nathan. Did you you enjoy this journey? Yes, it was so much fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we will catch you bitches next time. Cheers, bitches. Bye, Nathan. Love you. Um, Bye.